Welcome back to the Side by Side Guys Off-Road Podcast. I'm Big Z, and today we are without Ian. Uh, unfortunately, his uh, father is not doing so well, so he's taking family time to go take care of his dad. Um, and so we wish the best of luck to him, uh, speedy recovery, and uh, good luck to uh, Ian's family on on weathering this uh, storm in their life right now. Uh, but to kick off the year, uh, we brought in uh, another guest that uh, I'm sure everybody will be excited to talk to, uh, George Hamill from The Dirt Life Show. Welcome back to the episode. Hey, bud. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And unfortunately, we couldn't have uh, Ian back on the show, but uh, yeah, hopefully his family's doing better soon. Yeah, we're looking forward to having him back in the studio. We were uh, just talking about getting back behind the desk and, and talking face-to-face, so we're excited to get back together and, and talk about uh, all the things that have transpired over the last couple months and uh, what we look forward to in 2021. So that's the episode uh, that Ian and I will first hit back in the studio is what we're looking forward uh, to in 21. That includes model releases, uh, rumors, uh, our predictions, things like that. So that should be a good episode. I think so too, man. 2021 has a lot of hype, man. So I can't wait to see what you guys come up with and see what everybody else is doing in 2021. Yeah. So just to kick things off, you got a lot of changes going on on your on your side of the world. So uh, down south, you, you've been traveling the roads a little bit. What's going on with you? It's been pretty crazy, man. So the last, like, uh, I would say probably eight or, I don't know, 12 months of... Uh, of work we'll call it um i don't know can you call this podcasting stuff work (laughs) (laughs) i would say this part of it's the fun part and then it's the afterwards that's all the work yeah exactly actually i had uh, maddie wedeking our last guest on the dirt life show um she actually was asking me questions about how podcasting works and stuff like that and i go well it's fun to go sit down and talk with people but the other 80 hours a week that we have to put in to do production and scheduling (laughs) and all kinds of different studio stuff is not actually the funnest part but that does kind of lead us to where, uh, to answer your question is, uh, so I operate a little show called the dirt life. So I appreciate you guys having me on your guys show as well. But, uh, that show has, uh, got a little bit of traction and, uh, we moved it from Arizona to Southern California because we've been traveling so much the last, uh, you know, like I said, eight, 12 months. And, uh, now we're going to be located in Southern California. We're going to set up a temporary shop or a temporary studio at, uh, the IMG motorsports of James Hill. who's actually one of our featured guests and, they do all kinds of badass side-by-side stuff. So it'll be cool to have a little studio over there. We'll be a little bit closer to some of our show sponsors and man, it'll be nice because then we'll have a lot less uh, FaceTime. We'll have a lot more in-person interviews. So I'm pretty pumped on it actually. So last time, uh, like you were saying, uh, you guys had some, some female racers in there with you, some young gals. Um, That wasn't at IMG. That was at Warfighter Made, correct? Yeah, exactly. So that show had actually been scheduled for, I think, two or three months. So that one was just stuck at at Warfighter. But the cool part about it is, is like we could go to Warfighter anytime because they're right down the street from our new property that we uh, purchased in Temecula, California. And then uh, IMG is in Lake Elsinore. And uh, pretty much, I don't know, 90 percent of the off road scene is all in that little Southern California 951 area code. That's rad. There's a lot of um, industries uh, and companies that support the industries down in that area and, and desert racing and desert off-road suspension and all that kind of stuff is developed down there. So you're right kind of in the hub of, of all the manufacturing, uh, the, all the off-road accessories that we all enjoy. Yeah, I would like to think so. And honestly, man, just 
the last couple of weeks that we've been here. Um, I don't know if you guys can tell, but uh, if you guys are watching the video, I'm at an Airbnb in San Marcos, California, which is North County, San Diego, and uh, set up this little studio. But it's been insane how many people like understand. Sorry about that. How many people understand that we're in the in the Southern California area now? Like it is awesome, dude. It is super super cool and like i just can't wait to get the hit the ground running to get this 2021 kicked off just like what you were saying yeah we're looking forward to it i know that uh i've been looking at you know how to how to best approach getting everybody scheduled for the year you know doing year-long planning has not always been my specialty it's been more focused on the here and now putting fires out type of stuff and uh uh trying to come up with a, a calendar of events and getting people organized and logistics of that stuff is not normally my uh strong suit but uh i'm learning and 21's the year of uh being efficient and fast and uh, productive, and I can't wait to get uh, the ball rolling on that. So that's why we're talking. I didn't want to lose the opportunity to have a podcast out uh, at the beginning of the year for everybody. And uh, what better way to break in the new year with uh, another buddy that's doing the exact same thing I'm doing and uh, looking forward to a whole new year. So, um, you know, kind of uh, what were some of the what, some, what are some of the differences you're noticing moving from Arizona to California, you know, politics aside, like what's just the uh, the community and the, and the environment and the kind of stuff that you're saying? Uh, I know you were talking about dunes and things like that. Um, what what kind of a, some of the first things that you're noticing being in California versus visiting California? Like, what are you seeing different? Um, well, the way that I would describe it, like everybody's arm's length now, you know what I mean? So all the people that, um, you know, want to come on the show or want to, uh, you know, talk or even just go to lunch, it's everybody's there. So you can just see them within, you know, a couple hours to be able to hang out, to be able to, you know, come and talk about talk shop or whatever on the show like it it's just having everybody around like that's the main thing i, I mean we could talk about all the crappy stuff gas prices suck <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's horrible um food is twice as expensive it's just like a lot of that stuff um on a side note i love bicycle riding and it has been killer i've been going every single day yeah i've been seeing your posts you looks like you have a good time uh, out cruising the beach boardwalk and uh, all the different trails out there Dude, it's awesome, man. So we don't get to have, I mean, Arizona has some nice trails and some nice rides and stuff, but it's definitely different. So I'm pumped on, you know, they don't well, have the ocean. Ex <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we all love exploring in our side by sides, right? But I get to do that on the road now too. And it's all brand new. So it's perfect. Yeah, that's, that's always nice, especially like if you just go visit, you know, if you, if you pull a trailer out to somewhere and just go camp somewhere new or whatever, just to experience new trails, new terrain, new mountains, like, just even in UTV, you know, and, and bikes, anything in general, if you get outside and experience something new, it, it's it's an exhilarating experience, even if it's not high adrenaline or, or dangerous, just being outside and experiencing something new that you haven't seen before is always, uh, I found to be a, just an awesome memory to, to experience. Dude, yeah, that's it. That's exactly right, though. And sometimes that whole not having like a destination on your ride, like just in okay, case so you like you said, just go destination camp and then just go explore. That is like the best times. 90% of the time you come back and you're just amped on where you went. That's uh, that's kind of what we experienced when we were on the BDR trips. Uh, we had a route to follow and everything, right? But they were trails and distances and waypoints that we've never been to, right? So it was just constant day after day after day of just like new experience, new sites, new people, new communities, new everything. And uh, yeah. it's something that makes those trips truly unique. And if you can get out and extend yourself to be 
in that position all day long, it's a whole different experience. And uh, the stories that you yep. take away from that are completely different. Dude, I love that. That's so awesome. Do you guys bring like uh, logs and stuff, like just in case you get lost or need to camp or burn or anything? Yeah. So, I mean, we were all self-sufficient. Every car had its own camp supplies, um, all the different things we would need, uh, survival tools, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so we were all self-sufficient and in our own way had a different level of comfort. We were ex- willing to, you know, uh, relinquish to <laughs> have this experience. So some guys were, you know, a thousand pounds of stuff on their car. Some of us were down to, you know, less than a hundred pounds of stuff. So just depended on, uh, kind of your mindset going into it. But, um, but yeah, there was there, everybody was equipped to do whatever they needed to do. We had, if we had breakdowns, we had ways to communicate. If we had uh, something that malfunctioned, we had a way to fix it. You know, we kind of just planned all that uh, for a year in advance, right? So we were we were fairly prepared. It was just a matter of, is the trail going to be open? Is there going to be a washout? Is there going to be law enforcement problems? Is there going to be, you know, forestry problems? All that kind of stuff was the stuff we were concerned about. It wasn't the logistics of actually doing it. Dude, that's so cool, man! You're saying you you don't want to plan for a whole year for the show, but you can plan for a year for a ride. So, <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> well, you know the difference is that uh, when you're planning your own thing, you make the call, you make the decision, you make the 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 choice to deviate or not. Uh, when you're yep. waiting on people, that's the hardest part of anything. Is when you're waiting on someone else to give you an answer, so you can make the next choice or the next decision. And uh, and so that's the hardest part of, about planning. You know, a schedule of people is everyone's waiting on everybody depending on how close they all have to fit into the schedule so yep exactly well dude i'm pumped man 2021 is gonna be awesome for you guys and for us yeah we got a bunch of stuff in the works we got some things that we're going to announce here fairly shortly about uh some events coming up that we're going to be a part of um i'm working uh, a lot towards uh creating both this side-by-side guys brand but also a media company that to produce and, and facilitate a lot of these things that we're trying to do. So, uh, there's Look also you, that component. Big yeah, no kidding. Uh, that comes with a lot of stuff though, including like spending money on cameras and stuff like that. So that's fun, but also <laughs> a pain in the butt. Um, Dude, that's what, that's what like it irritates me the most about all this media stuff is, uh, spending so much money on technology cause it's just like throwing money away, but it, you got to do it. Yeah, and that's the hard part is is choosing how to invest it and and which equipment to buy and which ones, you know, with someone like like me, I don't have unlimited resources or unlimited sponsors to throw things at me or whatever. So it's like, okay, that hundred dollars is best spent where and and make that happen and, and how's that going to benefit the next six months? So yeah, um, I guess we're we're kind of talking like. Uh, um, I don't know. We're being bougie because we'll spend all kinds of money on the side by sides, and that money is the same thing <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's maybe why it's so hard, right? (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) but yeah, I have, um, I have a personal ambition to kind of step up my production game to the next visual level. And that includes the camera equipment I use, things like that. And, uh, this next year should be pretty epic on, on some of the content we're able to capture and the things we're able to do. So, um, looking forward to that. And, uh, hopefully I can get some more of that information out there to everybody to, to know about coming here shortly. So, we can't wait to see it, man. That's going to be awesome. I also have been putting my feet into the editing pool on the uh, BDR trips. So those videos are going to be pretty rad once those uh, get done and out there as well. So um, right now my schedule is pretty full day to night with uh, between websites I'm building, editing and I'm doing, like side jobs that I'm doing, just a whole bunch of stuff. So it's been pretty crazy over here. 
That's awesome, though, man, because a lot of people can't say that about their 2020. And it sounds like you've just been kicking ass all year and 2021 is going to be paying them uh, dividends because of it. Well, I think it goes back to that conversation about um, the mindset of 2021. You could either choose to react to however the negative news came to you or you could be proactive and that's just news alongside of the path you've chosen. And um, that's kind of how I went. and, And we have... You know, I was busier in 2020 than I've ever been, you know, as far as morning to night hours consumed. Um, and it never slowed down for me. Uh, you know, obviously, 2020 had its issues and, and that's affected me, my pocketbook and everything accordingly. But as far as actual production and, and growth, we're, we're moving forward. We never stopped and we never slowed down. And uh, I'm looking forward to teaming up with more people this year, doing more collaborative efforts to make awesome content. And, uh, you know, there's going to be some events we go to that are down relatively close to your area. When I say relatively, I mean, like, within 10 hours, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, we might have to talk about getting you over there, but, um, yeah, that'd be super cool. I would actually be, uh, kind of interested to see, uh, if some of your audience, like, I don't know if you want them to direct message you, but I'd like to hear their story. Cause I think what you just said is super cool, man. Cause I've heard so many stories of people being like, Oh, well, the government's going to send us only 600 bucks. Well, it's like, okay, that's cool. But shouldn't you have just made your own money instead right. like so i'd like to see if if people in the audience have the same kind of positive outlook on it like what you had and see if they have uh, some th- awesome stories to share because i would really really like to get some positive vibes going from the audience members for 2021 and hear what they did in 2020 yeah i've been kicking around the idea about getting um maybe some of these uh small business owners that do you know off-road retail or they do custom fab work or, you know, whatever the case may be and, and bring them on the show to, to talk and have maybe a couple different versions of it, like, you know, two different shops and talking at the same time about the different experiences and the different ways they handled things. Um, I think that'd be pretty awesome content, uh, for the listeners, but also just as an industry talking out some of that stuff helps us grow and helps us, you know, spur new innovations and ideas and concepts that when we're stuck in our ruts, it's hard to look outside of those ruts when the ruts are four feet deep and you're only three feet tall, you know, it's hard to see over them sometimes. And, and having somebody else on the other side, uh, able to talk you through it and, and work with you, you can generally pull yourself up and higher, uh, than you would have by yourself. Yeah. Necessity is the mother of invention, man. So those creative ideas comes popping out. Yeah, for sure. So you're set, you're, uh, you're sitting in your uh, Airbnb garage there in front of a, a little machine there. That's a YXZ. That's what you call your unicorn, correct? Yeah, this is the unicorn right, right here behind us. So it's uh, it's a pretty special car to me. I don't know if I'll ever get rid of it. Um, it's going to be one of those non-technology spends. It's going to stay with me for the rest of my life kind right. of thing. has more story um, in it than it does value, physical value. It really does, man. It just uh, It's just a special little car. I'm trying to build this little mini bike up, too. I got a little CRF 110 that I'm going to build up, too. I haven't got to ride it yet because we've been so busy. But one of these days, maybe I can go throw some wheelies in the street. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So the the car, uh, the YXZ behind it, that, that car was your race car for a while, correct? Um, we only did one. It, it's never built to be a race car. It's still got, like, you can see. I don't know if you can see in the in the video, but it doesn't have any B-pillars. It's just got oh, a right. pillar yeah to the well any race b pillars um but it's got uh you know the us play cage so to speak so it's got opening doors and stuff but we plan to do like little um maybe this sounds stupid when i say it but like little celebrity races where you just show up to some of the big races and just hang out and have some fun but uh it's an awesome car man it's got a fully built uh grave spec 
uh, Yamaha uh, blue printed engine. So it's a, it's a stock production engine. So it would be Luke, Lucas off-road legal for those rules. Uh, Cause we were going to use it in one of our Lucas race cars. Um, but it got thrown into this car because the motor was just sitting for so long. So it's a, it's a insanely built good motor. So it's all stock, just like you would buy a YXZ motor uh, crate motor. But this one was taken apart, blueprinted and, uh, you know, whatever cleaned so up, I guess. The say. people that are listening that aren't familiar with, you know, the Graves program and, and what blueprinting a motor means, you know, kind of go through that real quick on what that means. Is it just tearing it all apart, replacing the components with better components? Yeah, not better components. They still use all the stock components, but blueprinting would mean like, um, and this is probably a little too technical, but like plastic gauging, like measuring out all of the uh, individual tolerances on the engine. So where the bearings fit and how they rotate and the drag and the resistance and all of those different things that uh, make a motor perform better or worse. And so they put it together basically from scratch. So when you're on an assembly line, you get it put together and they have to um, abide by the tolerances of the assembly line for production. Well, when you get your hands on a motor and you can actually touch it and assemble it. um, When I say professionally, I don't mean that the assembly line is not professional, but this is by a guy that's doing every single little minute detail, just like you would paint the Mona Lisa. It's the same kind of concept because they're just focusing on one individual thing. And the the difference would be like if, if somebody were doing a project and they only had 10 minutes to do it versus somebody that had, you know, a whole week to do something, the, the process is going to be a lot slower, a lot more detail oriented and a lot more precise than somebody that is being forced to do so many things per hour. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Cause it's not about quick, quickly getting it done. It's about doing it the best you can. And a, a motor is every single little thing matters. Right. And so this thing has all kinds of cool stuff. So to go along with that blueprint and motor, it's got uh, a cool blue Graves titanium exhaust pipe on it. It's got some energy coil coils on it that help with the spark. It's got all kinds of little stuff. It's got a, uh, a special ECU flash called the unicorn tune on it. It's got uh, an AEM CD7 uh, dash. So it's got all kinds of different sensors on it with, to monitor different things like oil pressure, temperatures, all kinds of different things on the vehicle. So um, it's really just a stock car, finely tuned, but it has got some rad stuff. So does the, the ECU tune, uh, does that give you more like fuel pressure and more, you know, kind of advancement on the timing, things like that? Or is it more of just uh, taking some of the limiters off and allowing you to monitor it with the AEM integration? So bo- both of those, except for I don't know, because I don't know um, what the guys did, because this car spent some time at Graves on the dyno. Uh, and, uh, I don't know if they touched anything with like the injectors or anything. I think they just did timing and, uh, and fuel. And so I think pretty much they just got all that stuff dialed in, but I mean, the car itself right now, like I said, is, is bone stock. And I think a stock YXZ is 74 or 78, uh, horsepower stock. And this one is 116, I think. So, so what year is it? To that, well, it's uh, registered as a 2019, but it was just built from race car parts, so it's uh, got all 2016 stuff on it. So, does that have the the still has the manual shifter on it? Yeah, instead of the I got a little. Yep. Gotcha. Exactly. Yeah. That's rad. Uh, do you know what kind of horsepower it's putting down? Yeah, 116. Nice. 
And that's a pretty lightweight well, car as far as, you know, because it's smaller. It doesn't have as much mass as some of the other cars out there right now. So uh, that much horsepower to the ground is a little bit different than other cars that are longer, wider, heavier. Yeah, exactly. So this car hardly weighs anything. I think it weighs like maybe 1,650 pounds or something like that. Yeah, so I was going to guess lightweight. around that. Yeah, so it's pretty lightweight, and it's it's nice because there's zero lag. It it rips pretty good, and we've done little drags at the sand drags and stuff like that. It'll keep up with most of the turbo cars without a problem. How does it do in the dunes, like the whoops and whatnot, with the shorter wheelbase? I know that's one of the first oh. things that people you know complain about with the YXZ is the short wheelbase and the whoops. Yeah, no matter what, the YXZs just aren't built for the for the that kind of stuff. Like, and this this car i never even did the the shocks on it it's still got some short course shocks that we just had laying around so like at the dunes it'll beat the crap out of us like the suspension on this individual car is horrible i'm gonna have to get those (laughs) shock therapy guys to do it one of these days yeah it'd be cool to see that i mean uh i'm trying to remember i think it was in 2000 i want to say it was 17 i was i there was we, we were over in oregon dunes and a guy had a uh, a YXZ that was stretched out an additional ten inches or so, and then Whoa, it really? had uh, long travel on it, and uh, that car. And so because of the the custom long travel they put on it, it had actual trailing arms instead of A arms, and yep. so they they custom fab- fabbed the back end of the frame there. Um, but yeah, that thing was was brutal on the dunes. Yeah, I I don't know. It's just where the where the stuff mounts, and we could go on for days about the. Uh, mechanical portions and the geometry of the way the suspension is on the yamahas but everybody knows i mean it's it's just they're not built the same way as the polaris or the can-ams things like that the uh even the team yamaha guys like johnny greaves and cj greaves they've started developing some uh uh, four link trailing arms type suspensions that are a little bit better and more feasible for stuff like koh and desert runs right you got to be able to to move longer than you than you can on the stock a arms yeah, exactly. So I know that that's uh, with the the latest releases of of cars with the uh, the R Max, um, and the some of the other smaller ones. Uh, that's what everybody's talking about. Is these things are so capable, but they don't have as much travel and as much wheelbase and things like that. But it doesn't mean you can't do things and can't have fun and and all that stuff. Yeah, and we talked like a, I think before about it. Like we got to remember, like with the, the Can Am X three, the Polaris Razor XP Pro, like. And the turbo cars, all of these different cars, like they're not that popular in the side by side market. They're just popular on the West Coast. Like, they're a small slice. So, yeah, they're a very, very small slice. I, I think we, I forgot what the number was, but it's somewhere like around 8% or something super small. And right. then everybody else gets the cars that are like the Armax or the Polaris General or whatever it is, you know, like so those cars are the real popular ones and you don't really need suspension on those. So, you know, I think that. Sooner or later, like Robbie Gordon's new car that he's got coming out, we'll, I guess 2021, we'll get to see that bad boy. Hopefully. Um, I mean, it's been a while, so. But, but those are the cars that will uh, start breaking the surface of what the West Coast really has to offer, right? Because those cars aren't a hybrid. They're not a, a small car with a long suspension. They're an actual built car that has suspension geometry for what all these people on the West coast are doing. So I think, uh, you know, Polaris can am all those people will jump on board once they start seeing the progression of where the UTV industry is going. One of the things that we've talked about before is the concept of, um, sub market cars where, um, we, th- we believe, uh, when I say we, uh, myself and Ian included, um, 
that the manufacturers are going to start leaning towards different segments of the market a little bit more in the niche areas. So, um, you know, we've seen a little bit of it with the, um, of the Can-Am RC, right? The, the, the Maverick X3 RCs. Those yep. are specifically a car built for a niche group of people and it excels at what it's marketed to do, right? It's it's got yeah. the the good gear ratios. It's got the better, um, you know, accessories on it, things like that that you would need, the upgrades that you would expect somebody to do right away to do the rock rocky type driving that they they're selling to. And then you see, you know, my, Polaris has a a rock and trails edition car, and that's more of a a trim thing. It's not really a performance thing, but I foresee Polaris coming out with an actual true rocks edition razor and i see i foresee you know some of these guys coming out with with cars that are segmented towards different specific t- like canem has an xmr right who else has polaris has a high lifter edition but that's not truly a mud machine like the xmr has been built to be and so i canem's kind of le- led the way traditionally in the sub niche market cars but i think everybody's going to start jumping on that bandwagon because you look at like um we were talking this last episode about polaris putting out that orange madness color trim on their their razor pro um last summer and it released in mexico and then it made its way up to the united states and it was a big hit and they sold out of all of them and it's like well mexico is all about the orange that that's why they yeah. went there with it that's not why they didn't they didn't release that in washington state where i'm from because no one would buy <laughs> it um but anyways i i, I that's kind of where our headspace is, is that eventually we're going to start seeing these niche cars we're going to start seeing the desert car we're going to see the east coast car and we're going to start seeing these different niche cars come out, sand car versus rocks car, whatever. Yeah, I think it's a definitely a growth or a linear you know, progression for all these guys. I mean, look at dirt bikes. Dirt bikes have, you know, almost every single like dual sport, enduro, motocross, like all of those are based on a 450 platform. But they have different options and different ways to do uh, the production. And then it ends up being a totally different bike. The dual sport bike is completely different than the. Uh, well, I don't want to say completely different, but quite a bit different than the uh, the motocross bike. But you can ride it on the street, dude. So I can't wait to see what these side-by-side guys come up with. Yeah, and with uh, you know the trend pushing towards getting past that 1,000cc barrier, you know we're going to probably end up seeing cars that are more facilitating towards overlanding, towards on-road, towards you know, cross country trekking and, and things like that. So, um, can you explain to me some of that thousand CC thing? Cause I still don't understand it. Like the, the thing that I don't understand is how come if you have above a thousand CCs, you don't have to wear a helmet. So, you know, really what it comes down to, well, you got to understand where it originated from and yeah, I don't what, even know that. So the way it originated was there was a growing off-road segment that said, you know, we as OEMs want to build these vehicles that enable people to go off road on trails, dirt ride in the mountains, things like that. And there was really no way for the government to say this is allowed or not allowed on our trails. And so they had to come up with a set of rules that said, okay, you're classifying this thing, this vehicle as a non pavement vehicle that is allowed to go on off highway trails. Um, And so they had to come up with a rule set and just like you, you can see guys riding little dirt bikes on the, uh, down the neighborhood streets at, that are under 50 CC, right. Without a license plate. Once you go over the 50 CC, that was kind of their differentiator on those on, on getting them licensed. Right. So, um, on the off-road world, they had to come up with these rules and they said, okay, well we need to establish this to be 
something. And so they, they made that threshold of a thousand CC. And the reason that is, is because there's a lot of cars that are like triples that are in that range. And that was kind of like a good happy medium for them to cut off at. And so people like Polaris, people like BRP, um, they wanted to, to have regulations because it gives them places to stay within, right? They don't want to build something and then the government shut them down. Right, they so, have a focus, yeah. Right, so if they have rules, then they can build within it and market it within it versus yep. throwing something at the wind and then getting shut down and wasting all your money, all your R&D. Well, it makes total sense. I just wish like in the sand dunes and stuff that everybody would have to wear a helmet. Yeah, I, I think that it's it's kind of like seatbelts. I think that I personally have a belief that it should be up to everybody's um, prerogative to do or not do what they feel like they need to do. But at the same time, we should be pushing as an industry like save your bacon, don't do stupid things. Like yeah, just like with cages, right? We're all pushing for a cage on your car, but the OEM's not going to put it out because they're trying to save money. So um, yeah, it makes sense. And, okay. Uh, anyway, so. The whole concept with the thousand CC is that they're trying to operate within these these ranges to appeal to the biggest audience that the government's going to not get on their case about, right? So once they go over that thousand CC, they're basically saying this is no longer an uh, OHV vehicle, but it's not a non highway vehicle. So then what is it, right? So if there's no if there's no classification for it, then how do they market it? How do they get through FCC? How do they get through uh, DOT? How do they get through all these different hurdles? Yeah, so makes sense. to come out with an over 1,000 CC, they're basically saying, we are willing to put the money forward to build a new class of vehicle and a new legislation around it and a new parameter to build around it. Um, and so that's a lot of money. It's a lot of lobbying. It's a lot of legislative work. It's a lot of... Um, investment into something right so if there's already a market it's cheaper just to operate in the market if you want to create a new segment and, and operate without those boundaries um, you have to be willing to front the bill for pushing the the industry forward so hopefully uh yeah. hopefully we can see that happen here sometime soon maybe 21 yeah that'd be pretty cool if we do it's pretty neat to understand it like the way that you just described it too because how many times have i been or you been to a campfire talk and everybody's like why can't they just make it 1500 cc's and let us go shred right well they can they just can't sell it (laughs) yeah well i think it's because of all the government legislations and all those different uh things and parameters that they have to stick with and that's crazy dude well i mean you look at sand rails and you look at you know some of these hyper sand cars and whatnot there's businesses that build them and sell them but they operate within a different scope than these bigger manufacturers do and uh, when you're looking at those kind of numbers and those kind of manufacturing facilities and things like that you know you're under a different scrutiny than a small shop so that's why Robbie Gordon can operate doing, well, we'll call it whatever he wants in quotes. Um, so he's his program's a little bit different. He's operating within the same boundaries as everybody else. What he's doing differently is saying, I don't have margins to hit. I can set my own margin. So where Polaris might be at a certain margin on their tire package, you know, and can might be at a certain margin on their frame, you know, these different number packages that they have to hit. Um, don't apply to him because he's a first round. So he can build his margin however he wants. Um, And I would suspect that, you know, as time moves on and models get actually physically delivered and all this R&D comes to fruition, then they'll come and say, okay, how much margin do we want to look at going forward? They probably already had these conversations and said, okay, now we took basically a hit 
first year. Second year, we're going to take, you know, a, a less of a hit. Third year, we're going to start making money. Fourth year, we're going to start making 10x more on money, whatever. And those prices will probably go up to 50 grand. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, once he does the books, he's going to have to change. <laughs> and it all comes down to investment. Basically, right. if you're going to start a business and you need angel investors, right? That money is going towards R&D and building and establishing and all that stuff. And that's essentially what he's doing right now is he's put he's putting the bill for all the R&D, the castings, the molds, all that kind of stuff, um, which when you're starting a brand new brand, that's easy to do. You just have money sitting around. You then apply it to the manufacturing process, whereas Polaris, KNAM, Honda, Yamaha, all these guys, they have an operations that they have to then facilitate the production of whatever that thing is. And yeah. so if you can't fit the mold, he benefits from establishing the mold from the very beginning. I just like what it ends up doing for us and driving the freaking side-by-side industry forward, man. It's going to be awesome. I was watching his live stream, was it Friday? And uh, yeah, he was talking about suspension and center of gravity and, uh, you know, some of the details around wheel scrub and things like that through the through the, tr- the wheel travel and all that stuff. And a lot of the stuff they say said made a lot of sense. There's some There's some marketing that you have to take with a grain of salt that goes along with all of what he does, but... Um, after, after thinking through some of the processes that they've gone through, you know, on suspension, I'm super stoked to see how that car comes out and handles. Um, I personally have seen all the videos from like their desert testing and all that. And I wasn't super stoked on the suspension handling, but, uh, I think that once they get it fine tuned and in production, it'll probably be at a point where it blows everything else out of the water. Yeah. It's going to be cool, man. I just can't wait. Like I said, the pushing the industry forward is going to be the best part about it. For sure. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit. Um, you know, last time you were here, you were here back in September on the show and, uh, we talked through kind of your, who you were, your backstory, how you got to where you're at and what you went through, um, you know, with your, your big crash last year. Um, was it last year or the year before? Well, now it was, it was two years 2019. Ago, yeah. So two, yeah. So it hasn't been two years, but yeah, April, right. April 7th, I think it was, uh, 2019. Yeah, so we're we're creeping up on around that 18, 20 months, something like that. Um, and so for those that haven't watched that episode, go back. Uh, I believe it's episode. Where is it? Okay, it's episode twenty one um, of the Side by Side Guys Off Road Podcast. Go listen, watch to, uh, that episode with George, and get to know who he is and and where he comes from. But if for those that haven't listened to that yet. Um, basically you've been involved in motorcycle accidents that, uh, paralyzed you, caused you to have mobility issues, things like that. And then, uh, that roughly just under two years ago, you were involved in a wreck, a side-by-side guy, uh, a side-by-side racing wreck at UTV worlds, um, where a car smashed you between it and another car, um, and crushed you all up into a ball of goo. And, uh, you spent Mm -hmm. the last, uh, year and a half of recovering from that in this last year. Uh, you were afforded the opportunity from your buddy Scallon, uh, to race a car at UTV worlds this last, um, October and, uh, kind of describe, you know, going into that, you know, uh, we will spare everybody all the lead up to that, but you know, going into, uh, you had the car, you had the sponsors jump on board. Um, everybody was there to support you getting back into it. What was the experience of going from, okay, this is all happening. I have the car and I'm ready to go to the races. It's race day. You know, kind of give me some of those emotions, like what, what was going through your head and, and how was that experience emotionally going um, from where you were to being on the racetrack? I don't like during the uh, well, first of all, thanks for the 
the backstory. Um, man, I just like uh, listening to you talk about that right now. <laughs> it kind of gets me teared up because I, I remember like having such a hard time in that last interview talking to you guys because everything was so emotionally charged for me. And I think that's what kind of led uh, the progression of that whole RS1 build and the, and the race because there was a lot of emotion behind it. It was like that whole thing. You go want to get back on the horse that threw you kind of thing. But um, I've told everybody, and I think I told you guys in that last uh, interview that we did, I don't really like care about racing anymore. Like it's not a huge priority in my life. You know, before all I wanted to do was win, win, win. And now I've understood that um, having the relationships with all the people in the side-by-side -side industry is what means the most to me. And so that was what charged my wanting to go into the RS1 build and race and complete the UTV World Championship. And uh, it ended up turning out really good. We did, uh, so leading up to the UTV World Championship, we built the car. We did this little uh, series. I think it was a seven-episode series uh, on YouTube. And for anybody that hasn't checked it out, you can go check it out. It was pretty cool, man. It reached almost a million people during that seven episodes. And it was uh, it was neat to see that. And it was neat to see all of the people in the side-by-side -side industry from uh, high-level uh, you know, company owners all the way down to the guys that are just getting ready to buy their first RS1 or first side-by-side. -side. And uh, that meant so much to me, man. So like when I got to the starting line at the UTV World Championship, I was already – huge smile on my face because everybody had got me so pumped up for it so it was pretty cool though like uh we did uh what was it two weeks before we got an airbnb up there in lake havasu we did some cool stuff with some of the sponsors we had a good time we went up to havasu and filmed a bunch of stuff and um during the during that whole process like it was like being right back at home seeing all my friends and everybody at the races you know what i mean yeah, there's definitely a camaraderie that you don't have unless you're a part of something that is in a competitive aspect like racing. Um, every, and especially when it's um, positive competition, not, you know, hard up competition where you're out to get everybody. When it's a positive competition, everybody's out to have a good time to support each other, to look out for each other's backs and, and all that. Right. And um, yep. when you are especially at a point where you're almost giving back to those that supported you, right? You're like, you're showing them that we can, we can overcome and we can push forward and through these adversities. Um, that accomplishment can mean way more than just ever winning a race. And I think that's yeah. kind of what you were experiencing. Yeah. A hundred percent. And yeah. So Craig Scanlon gave me the, uh, the opportunity to do it. So he was the first one that I wanted to pay back. You know what I mean? Because dude, like, I never even expected to be able to go out to the UTV world championship and race. And it was just like on a whim, you know, but, uh, there was some, uh, is trepidation the right word where you feel like you're, uh, kind of scared, but like unsure of what's going to happen. Like, so there was a little bit of, of unsureness, like when I went up to the starting line, but I was just pumped because everybody was there and like, so supportive. So I just went out there and I'm like, you know what? The only thing I care about is, uh, finishing the race. So I talked to my old crew chief. He was, uh, on the, um, spotting for me at the race too. And he goes, dude, just like, let them take off half a second ahead of you and then yep. go out there and have some fun. And, uh, we pre-ran the course the day before, two days before or whatever. And dude, it was rocky, like rocky, dusty. Like it was gnarly. Like I had never driven anything like that in my life. And I, I've raced a few side-by-side -side races that were pretty gnarly. And this was 
definitely takes the cake. I don't, it wasn't like KOH or anything like that, but it was pretty gnarly. I couldn't see because my vision got messed up in that crash. I couldn't see well. And then adding on the dust where you can't see in front of your hood was right. just like, oh my gosh, man, it was crazy. So he's like, yeah, don't go fast. Don't charge. Like, don't push it because we don't want anything to happen. Just go slow and finish the race. That's all that matters. You coming across the finish line. And so we took off. Uh, I think we were, I don't know, eighth row or something in our normally aspirated class. Cause I was in RS one. And, uh, so we were far back, like we'll just say 50 cars deep in the starting line. So Ronnie Anderson got the whole shot in the first row. And so he took off cause he didn't have any dust. I think his first lap was like 10 or 15 minutes faster than every other UTV. <laughs> so like how easy would it be to win the race at that point? Like, so we were talking to him being like, dude, that was cheater move, but he got it. That's man. racing. It. Yeah. Um, so any, everybody else, all the other drivers had to deal with Ronnie's dust and their dust. So I was in for it. So I kind of just like took a step back. And, um, in fact, the first lap, uh, I missed a few corners just cause I couldn't see him. Um, I held a, a microfiber in my left hand and kind of drove with the right hand or maybe it was vice versa, but I held the microfiber in one hand and right. drove with the other hand and just kept like, it was basically like, just like windshield wipers wiping <laughs> off the dust. Right. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't see. Uh, oh, let me take a step back here real quick. Justin Smith, uh, the, uh, of shock therapy, uh, they had their helicopter out there and made me feel super cool. They were following me around the whole helicopter, huh? Dude, it was awesome. So uh, uh, that's the first time something cool like that. I felt like a superstar. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm the only one that has a helicopter. Hell yeah, let's keep going. So it gave me a lot of motivation, like those little things, right? Like when you're out there and you're like kind of doubting yourself or you're doubting your skills. Like this is my first race after a massive injury. I can hardly see. I don't know if my brain is going to get too scrambled. Like all of these little things that I'm thinking about and, uh, they just motivated me, man. I was like, okay, cool. Now I have something to do it for. Now I have a, a goal and uh, some drive to be able to do it. And, uh, during that first lap, I got passed by, I think two people. Um, but, uh, I ended up passing a whole bunch of dudes. Like I was going pretty fast and I was thinking to myself, like, maybe this is just muscle memory. Like, what is it? Like, why am I doing so well? Uh, and then right when I start getting all cocky in my head, right. <laughs> I, I, I get off track and, uh, I got lost for like 10 minutes. Right. Um, and, uh, one of the corner markers markers that was lining the course, actually somebody blew it out. So oh. myself and all of the dudes behind me <laughs> got lost. So we're like out there in the middle of the desert, just crossing past. Like it's super dangerous, like all sketchy. And, I looked at the uh, the GoPro footage after, and it was right around 10 to 12 minutes that I was out there cruising around. So that kind of blew it, right? Like, okay, great. Right. Like, now my race is done. But um, I didn't care. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm right. still going to go as fast as I can. I'm going to test my body's abilities. I'm going to test my brain and see how I can do. And uh, by the end of the first lap, I had a flat tire, a front left flat tire. And uh, I was like, you know what? I've already passed, uh, passed through the pits. Like, I'm just going to keep going. So... Um, oh, you know what? One other cool thing happened too, is when I came through the, the pit area, you know, everybody's lined up and there's probably, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 teams that are all lined up in the pits. Not one of them wasn't standing out there, giving me a thumbs up or cheering me on. It was so rad. Like I came through and I go, is that for me? Like, is somebody like catching up? Like, 
he's going to pass me. Like what's right. happening. And then uh, after the race, like, and it, these are all Can-Am teams, Honda teams, you know, right. all kinds of different brands. And I'm just this dude driving the RS one, not doing good. I'm probably in like, I don't know, 15th or 10th place or something like, and they were all cheering me. I was like, God, that feels so good. So it was like that motivation again, like to go through the, the last lap as fast as I could. So I said, all right, well, this tire doesn't feel too bad. It's a front left. So if I like rip it off, big deal, like I'll still be able to keep going. It's not a back tire. I got three other wheels. We're grabbing in four wheel drive. I'll just keep going. And so I kind of tried to manipulate the vehicle as much as possible and kind of keep the front end up. The only time I couldn't do that is some on, on some of the goat trails where you really have to like crank Crawl the wheels. Through, yeah. Like, yeah. So, um, but other than that, if you were on power going up some washes or going up hills and stuff like that, you could manipulate it pretty well. And then like, if I was going into a corner, I would just hit the brakes really hard uh, going in a straight line. And right. then before I got to the entrance of the corner, I would gas it kind of like a dirt bike. I'd gas it and lift the front end up to go through the corner. So it was less pressure on the front tire. So it worked out pretty good because that last lap was actually faster than my first lap because I lost. So uh, <laughs> we uh, we ended up passing some more dudes, even with the flat tire, and and the race went really really good, man. We were coming through the last uh, maybe I don't know, let's say eight hundred feet of the track, and there's like these little single jumps, and uh, I go, you know, like I'm talking to my crew, and uh, you might have to bleep this out, but I was like, "Fuck yeah, I got it! Like I finished." <laughs> Like, yes, I'm so stoked. I, we did it, boys. Like, we're so happy. And right when I said that, uh, like, my emotions just, like, took over me. Yeah. And I just started crying like a little girl, man. Like, I had nothing left in me. I was just crying like a, like a baby. And uh, you're supposed to go to the podium and, and, and go up after the race when you finish. And uh, I forgot about all of it. Like, I was <laughs> right. so I was so caught up in in the moment of finishing the race, I just went back to the truck to see my, see my guys. And I gave everybody a hug and talked to everybody. And it was, it was phenomenal. The feeling that you get for not winning after something like that. Cause I was just like, dude, I, I won now. Like I, I beat the race. Like it was me. I'm so stoked. Right. How, uh, how long is that race? It, for us, it was only, I think two hours, maybe. Yeah. And, and so, you know, being competitive most of your life and going through a lot of these races and things like that, uh, two hours is not really a big deal when you can see all the way straight, when you can feel the motions correctly, when you can feel, uh, you know, kind of react in real time to things that are happening versus, you know, having the thinking process type stuff that you're having to deal with after being kind of, um, scrambled egg if you pardon the, the yeah, phrase but exactly um you know we take for granted some of those small things that just makes things way harder when you when you're coming back from an injury like that and uh, i can't imagine that two hours probably felt completely different than two hours on a short course or two hours in a bike it was man it was, it was definitely different and the things are like some of the stuff that you just brought up like when i finished the hindsight's 2020, right? Like knowing now what I felt like at the finish line, I was scrambled eggs. Like I wasn't coherent. Like I wasn't, I was just going by memory and what I knew to do to finish the race. And, you know, afterwards I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel like, uh, you know, I was injured or anything again, but I didn't feel the same as I do now. What is it, you know, October. So 
three months later, right. I feel much better and much more of a, like my brain's still healing, my body's still healing. And I don't know, man, it, it's so hard to explain. Like, I don't even know how, what to, how to make it like relevant to somebody else, but picture having a broken arm. And then the first couple of times that you go back out riding, you're like, oh, my arm is sore, but right. magnify that by a hundred and make it your head and make it your skull, make it the rest of your body. Like it's, it's a really, really crazy thing. And I talked to people like Robert Bland that Warfighter made and different organizations and, and different wounded people that have had traumatic brain injuries and all these different things. And everybody says the same exact thing. You never, ever know what you're going to get out of that injury. And they could try to relate it to me, but it doesn't work and vice versa. I don't know how to relate it to any of the audience or to you. I just, it's just right. a completely different thing, but the moral of the story, man, is we had so many supportive people. The side-by-side -side industry is just, and the community is just amazing to be able to give me such a high level of support and to be able to stand by me. I literally felt like I was on top of the podium, you know, like right. it was phenomenal. Yeah. So the, what is, what does your doctors think of that? I mean, I mean, I'm assuming that you see them on a semi scheduled basis are, are were they talking yeah, to you about this and unfortunately i still have to see doctors quite frequently it's been a little less since we've been moving and stuff but um i don't know you kind of get some of the doctors understand right like some of them are like this dude is he's doing it like he's going out he's he's phenomenal at making sure that his body is working well like all of the things that he has been shown in his life to push him back he's pushed through. And so those people are the same mindset as like maybe you or me. And they think, okay, well, you know what, let's just let him do his thing and support his efforts. And then the other guys are like, no, this guy's a fucking lunatic. Like stop doing all this stuff. Like you have no business doing any of this, George, don't ride your bicycle. Don't ride a dirt bike. Don't get in the side by side. Don't shake your head, lay down. Like right. and it's just not, it's not me. So there's not much that you can do when you have those types of negative or positive influences. You kind of just have to do your own thing, I guess. Yeah. There's a lot of times where we can feel internally the best route for ourselves. And sometimes we have to trust our gut and trust our instinct. Uh, I, I'm, there's countless stories of people saying, you know, that doctors told them one thing and, and they did something else and it was ended up being the right thing versus what they were, the doctors were saying. But, uh, I was just more curious on, you know, as on the medical side of things, like how, how much support did you have going into, two hours of torture on your body, right? Like, was that, um, I mean, I, I know that you, because of those people that don't know, person. you've had fractured skull, you had a blown out jaw, you had, you know, all your, your cranial structure yeah. compromised, all that kind of stuff. So to me, it's like, you know, if, if you, if you, if it was my partner or my, uh, spouse or, or whatever the case was, you know, I'd be concerned for the outcome after that. Right. But there's some things that we have to do just to, overcome, you know, the internal demons that we have and, and to get past those and conquer those, uh, means more than, you know, an extra week or two of recovery. And, yeah. uh, um, so I, I just was kind of just trying to see where the perspective was medically on, on how that was being approached. Was, was there any concern? Was it something that you did anything special for, or was it more of, uh, I'm going to just do all the normal safety things and, and do this the way I would have done the first time. I think all of the above. So first of all, um, 
Yeah, well, thank you for saying all that stuff because that really makes me feel good understanding that that people like you can get a grip on what or understand what I was going through at the time. Um, I didn't just decide to race this race like the week before. It was right. months before when I was when I was planning on doing it. And during the recovery process, I had already started doing things to help get my vision better, to help get my hearing better and to do all of these things. And I just kind of changed that while I was going through it to make it so that I understood that I could complete this significant event of finishing the race. So um, I went to Texas and I saw some eye doctors. I did certain uh, physical therapies with my eyes that are very specific to the injury that I have with my brain to help the, the, the functionality and the connection between my nerves and my, and my skull, my brain and the things that don't work the same anymore. So there was a lot of stuff like, just like if you break your leg, man, you got, let's just say six months or six weeks of rehab. Well, this is a lot more, but it's the same basic concept. You just have to focus on what your goal is, right? So I did so much therapy and so many different things to be able to do it, but the unknown was at the starting line. I don't know if any of this is going to work, but right. I feel like I feel like I'm somewhat prepared. And even when I was out there, like halfway through the first lap, I was thinking to myself, like, dude, my head is busted like it hurts so bad I can't see shit it's all getting fuzzy like and then so I told myself I go you know what you've done th therapy or or tried to work up to this for the last six months first of all don't quit and second just try to do some of those things while you're driving so I started taking deep breaths I started calming myself down. I got my heart rate lower. I got my um, vision cleared. I blinked my eyes a million times so that they would get a little bit more water in them. And I thought to myself, all right, now I have a little process. Now the next, I don't know, 10 corners, I'm going to fully focus and charge. And then after that, I'm going to go back, take some more deep breaths, right. blink my eyes some more, like get it focused back to what I was doing, but take care of myself at the same time. I probably lost, you know, like, let's just say a minute or two doing all that stuff, but it didn't matter because my goal wasn't to win anymore. It was just to right. cross the finish line. So it was all, it was, it was cool, man. It was cool to see me go through all that stuff and understand what I was doing, you know? And like I said, at the finish line, I just lost it because it was so meaningful. Yeah. I can imagine, you know, when we're, when we're getting injured, our body reacts with adrenaline and all these different um, chemical reactions in our body to maintain a certain level of functionality and focus and all that kind of stuff, right? And I can't even imagine, you know, going through the entire process of a race and all of those split-second synapses that have to fire and all those different little uh, things that you have to react to, both mentally and physically. Um, and then, like you were saying, towards the end you know, there's a subconscious effort within your body saying, we're, we're done, we can now tone back the fire hose of adrenaline, we can tone back the fire hose of, of maintaining a composure level. And then basically just letting loose of the reins and letting your body kind of just react to the to the overwhelming flow of all these things going on. Um, I can't I mean, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. But I can't I, I wouldn't imagine that you would take that back for anything. I really wouldn't. And like I said before, though, like I've had a lot of those emotional uh, things like what you're talking about with, uh, you know, the chemical increases and stuff in your body. And uh, 
I still can't compare it. Like I, I've mentioned it so many times or I can't compare that feeling to the camaraderie that was out there. That was like above everything else. Like right. the support from everybody was so much higher than even the adrenaline pump and like all of these different things. I don't, I don't even know. It's, it's like, I can't go back and beat that. You know what I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> is that ever going to happen to me in my life? Probably not, but it happened to me once and I'm so thankful for it. Yeah, I can't. I, I I think it's just the the people that that backed you on this was were, were just such an amazing group of people, and I think that just like you were saying speaks to the community at large. That we're all out for a good experience. We're all out for a good time, and half of that is experiencing that with somebody else and being able to provide yeah. that to somebody um, is just as much of a win for us that are helping somebody versus you know being the one that's being helped, and so. Um, uh, that would have been a great a great time to to be around just the community and and just the efforts people and the, and the the feelings everybody were having um that that had to have been something pretty special um, yeah been, it was awesome so you know after that uh what was what are some of your takeaways after that what are i mean we've talked about kind of the experience of going through all that what are some of your takeaways of that and and how is that going to apply to maybe this next year and how you're going to apply apply what you've learned through this last season and we're not even talking 2020 we're talking just the logistics of getting through the year uh yeah on the calendar like how did you how you got through yep. it uh how are you then looking forward and what did you learn from that i think the main thing that i learned from it honestly is that everybody in the industry is special and they're all special in their own ways and just like what you're trying to do with the podcast i think we're going to try to see if we can showcase some of those people because at this point I've received so much back from the community that I want to give back. Like I want to be the the person that's able to, to showcase all of these bright individuals that are just so willing to help each other, help each other out, go out, win races, all these young kids. Like there is so much cool stuff. And I still, like, I don't even know how to de describe it, how I feel about the side-by-side -side community and industry because it's so meaningful to me that I want to be able to pay all these people back and give them their opportunity to shine. So with these little platforms like your side by side guys and the dirt life, I think we have a really good opportunity to be able to um, make the industry a little bit better of a place where people can share their stories. So if you were to look at the uh, next six months or so, you know, what are a couple of things that you're you're looking forward to? Um, well, I like it to get warmer. That's the first one. <laughs> uh, but I think the, the things that I'm looking forward to, um, well, in a week. So we got Ruslan Grease Hands uh, coming on tomorrow. Yep. Um, and, well, that'll probably already, after this releases, it'll probably already be uh, an archive episode. But um, he's going to be an awesome kid to talk about. He's 12 years old. Like, yep. he's balls of steel, man. He just goes and does everything. And uh, so uh, another one that I'm really looking forward to is, is establishing a little bit more of a professional relationship with some of the people like, Honda Offroad and, and Jeff Proctor over there. He's, uh, you know, wants to start doing some more media stuff together. So to me, like the whole racing thing has driven my life. Right. And it's very similar to you. You've always been goal oriented and, and driven. And now the things that I get driven and excited for are things like establishing better relationships with people, um, accomplishing their goals with them and supporting all of them. So I really think that being in Southern California and being arm's length from some of these people is going to give me the opportunity to have some of those uh, mutual uh, wins and championships with those people. I think it's going to be an awesome, awesome time.
Awesome. There's a, there's a lot of stories out there. And I think that one of the biggest things that I'm looking forward to is, is how to creatively tell those stories um, in a way that people can connect with and actually be engaged with. And I, I think that's just going to be an awesome uh, uh, thing to do in, in 21. I think that's going to be kind of the ticket for people are looking for. Um, they want to relate to these people. They want to know more. They want to be invested into something uh, more than themselves. And I think there's a lot of people out there that um, just are, the off-road industry in a whole is all about overcoming adversity. It's all about getting over an obstacle, getting around something, going the distance, taking, you know, whatever adversity comes down to you on the trail and, and having a solution and overcoming it. Right. So I think it's just built into our culture, our community's culture of, of finding things that push us to the limits and then overcoming them and telling a story about it afterwards. Now that you say it like that, it really does put it in perspective, right? Like 2020, all kinds of businesses and people, individuals, they all did that same exact thing. They had the same exact mentality. So it'll be pretty cool. And I know there's so many people that are pumped up on race seasons that are coming up. Well, we're going to talk about Dakar. I know that, but, or Dakar, um, but the Dakar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and everybody's just amped up to get out there and start keep building their stories. Like, honestly, man, it's exciting. So, so what's your uh, perspective on, on Lucas disappearing? How did that uh, shake down in your community down there? Uh, well, everybody's pissed off because they want a place to go race, right? But everybody also, um, and I'm saying this in air quotes, knew it was going to happen, right? Because everybody's smarter than the people that they talk to. And uh, so everybody talks shit and they say, oh, well, I already knew that was going to happen. And this is, this is the way it should have been. And I would have done this and it would have never happened. But you know what? There's a lot of little idiosyncrasies and things that people don't understand or don't know about behind the scenes that make decisions like this happen. And um, there's going to be some good stuff that comes out of it. There's already um, a few people that are looking to um, keep the franchise going. It's not going to be a Lucas franchise anymore, but um, establish a place where racers can go. Um, we have actually some podcasts coming up in February that we're going to talk about this specific subject and uh, with some of the very, very inside people about it. And it'll be nice because it'll bring a little bit of clarity for people to understand. This is what happens behind the scenes for race organizations. This is what happens behind the scenes to get you to be able to pay your $500 to race or $200 to race. Like these things are very meaningful for all of these people trying to operate these organizations. And it'll be really cool to see um, what comes out of it in the future. Just because Lucas didn't want to do it anymore. Doesn't mean that somebody else can't come in and do a better job. So I think it's going to spawn some other series too. So I think there's a bunch of positive stuff. I think some people, the people that were going to race Lucas are now going to go to the Midwest series. I think they're going to race in some of the local California series or Nevada series and build those up. Like there's a bunch of cool stuff that can come out of one negative thing like this. Yeah. The, the thing is, is that the, the way that I saw it was even like in my own personal, like professional career, you get stuck in these ruts of being so dedicated to one track of mind, like of way of doing things that sometimes it takes something to either be cut off or to fail for you to realize there's a better way to do something. And <laughs> like COVID happened to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that's kind of maybe what's happening with the racing is, is that there, there's a ton of these little small organic grassroots efforts to start these race series and these different events. And I think that, some of that passion is going to spill over into uh, 
various people from around the country kind of culminating together to create one massive awesome thing. And yep. I can't wait to see that happen because that just means everyone's going to have a better time and a better experience and, and more epic things to happen. Yeah, exactly. And it puts it in a little bit more of a flexible atmosphere and environment, right? Like look at Supercross. So Supercross is now doing uh, like two races or three races every week and right. they're spreading it out and they're only doing it in certain cities. So it's like the flexibility and the way that you're doing it now, there's positives that come out of all of this stuff. Of course, there's going to be negatives, but it really makes for a different mindset in the future. So maybe 2021 is a little rough on some of these promoters and event organizers and things like that. Maybe they got to push things around or operate a little differently, just like they did in 2020. But 2022, come 2023, come 2024, are all going to be phenomenal for the growth of all of these industries, basketball, baseball, and our love off-road. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, it, really what it comes down to is uh, it teaches us to be willing to stretch and adapt. And I think that with, yep. the, with any kind of an event organization, you have to be somewhat masochistic and just getting punished all the time. But also <laughs> the ability to uh, be flexible and those that excel at being flexible and adapting and, and quick on your feet to, to adapt and willing to take the negatives and replace them with positives. Those are the ones that are going to succeed and, and do well at what they do. Right. So, um, so, uh, we were taught you, you mentioned Dakar. uh, looks like some of your homies are, uh, sitting on the top 10. Yeah. Kristen's at top yeah. 10, uh, Wayne's in uh, 12. Who else you got yep. going over there? Um, so we have a few other people. Hey, before we go on, I was going to talk about the Lucas thing too. Yeah. The only person I'm bummed for is my buddy, Robert Stout and Paul Yaw. Both of those guys just won the championship in the production 1000 class. They didn't do, they, they built new cars. They got all their stuff together and now they have nowhere to go. So oh, man. I want something, I want somebody to pull that, pull that card and get the series going again. So those guys can go out there and tear it up. No kidding. That's like uh, one of the worst things ever is to, to invest all that time and effort uh, to make something meet spec and then not be able to use it. Dude. And they like, Paul is like, he's super OCD, like, like us. Uh, but he's like, he's way smarter than both of you and I combined. Like, so he's, <laughs> he's got the brain level and he's like put all this effort into these cars. Like we're talking about the unicorn, how cool of a car that is. Like some of the stuff that he's built is like just insane. He's got these two Lone Star YXZs that are off the charts. Good. Like I told him, I'm like, dude, I'm going to come over there and just steal one of those things so I can go drive it around just to feel what it's like. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So the Dakar stuff or Dakar, I always say it wrong. Uh, I got my iPad here in front of me right now, too, because I was looking at the results earlier. <laughs> team USA, we'll call it Team USA, but sure. there's only real one branded Team USA, which is right. Kristen and Wayne Matlock. Um, after stage one, what you like you said, Kristen's in 10th and Wayne's in 12th. So they're doing pretty good. But, uh, man, one of the guys we just had on the podcast, he's from Phoenix. His name's Austin Jones, uh, one of our good buddies, actually. Uh, he's leading right now in the SSV class first. Yeah, so uh, he's driving the... Monster Energy Can-Am, yep. And uh, so it's his first time out there. You know, he got the opportunity to drive with those South Point, uh, no, South Point, I don't know. what I don't know what it is, but uh, the Can-Am team over there, South Racing. And uh, he just goes out, dude, and he's, he, he must have the adrenaline you're talking about. Just go out and charge it, dude. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can. I mean, you're talking about competing with the world's best off-road athletes, basically. Like, you us in America, we don't know half of these people from 
you know, a tree branch in the forest. Like we just, we don't know who they are, but in the rest of the right. world, these guys are like the guys when it comes to off-road racing. And, you know, the, the thing people don't understand about D- Dakar is that you don't know the route. You don't have a Never. GPS. You just get a book and a co-driver says, okay, this is what the book says. Turn right in. But this you don't now. get that book. You don't get that book until I forgot what it is, but the rules are, I think it's five minutes or 15 minutes before the start of the event. So it's you, literally right before you go out. Yes. You have to write everything down and do it real quick. So like, so we always talk about this and I think we talked about it when I talked with you before, like the co-driver is always the most important guy. Like no matter what the driver has got the easy part, right? Like he just goes and cruises or she, um, but those co-drivers and uh, Dakar, like, oh my God, man, those guys are just phenomenal. So um, I'm just pumped because the USA guys are doing really well. I mean, last year, Casey Curry won the SSV class in a Can-Am and uh, Ricky Brabeck won uh, on a two-wheel bike. So both of those guys, like I would think would do well. Casey's not there this year. Austin is, uh, I don't want to say taking his place, but Austin is, is going out and doing the monster energy thing. So it's cool to see him jump out and get like right up front, like first stage. Uh, we also have a few other people. Ricky didn't do, Ricky Brabeck didn't do so well. I don't know what, what happened to him, but he ended up 24th on the first stage. So maybe, I don't know, first stage jitters or something. Well, and that's um, the thing about the car is that you have 12 stages over the course of, right. I think, what is it? 14 days or something. Um, yep. This is not a short race and position pole position like just changes every five seconds. Like you can take because you are basically reliant on your co-driver making the call at the turn, right? Like yep. if you miss that turn, that could mean an hour. <laughs> like you have to be on point. And so like so if speaking you, even on that on that topic, like you don't like I love that Austin's in first now, but that sets him up for failure, unfortunately, right. because you never, ever want to start a stage in first place. So except for the last one, right? Like, so you can finish in first, but um, you always want somebody to follow because you know that if they turn and go somewhere else and you have coordinates that are a little different, that you have a 50-50 chance and 90% of the time it's not the way that they're going. So it's really a huge benefit to be behind. And I think uh, you had mentioned it earlier, Kristen Matlock always said that she prefers to start out behind. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's... When it comes to long distance racing like this, even if you do have a GPS system pushing you where you need to go, like it is so easy for a GPS to take a blip and you to blow yep. past your turn or to blow past the waypoint or whatever. Like the just the fact that someone human's doing it doesn't change the fact that it's there's a human at, person behind the wheel making the the split second choices to go faster, slower, turn, stop, whatever. And uh, you know, this isn't just like a this isn't a groomed course, right? This is literally yep. driving through a desert that's not groomed and not pre-ran. It's it's literally just go through these dunes, go through that mountain, go to that place, go around that river, go whatever the case is. And hopefully you end up there before the next day happens. <laughs> Do you think that like, because to me, it's such like a, I'm already bad with directions, right? Like Google Maps is my worst friend kind of thing. Right. So like, do you think you could handle a race like this? I would be like so reliant on a co-driver. I would be the most horrible co-driver, first of all, but I would be so <laughs> reliant on the co-driver that it would be like, stress me out, man. I think that I've learned over time that um, I'm not a good co-driver in the fact that uh, I get way too stressed out and I get 
too much anxiety to where I can't think straight and give clear directions. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, I might left, say left. Right, right, left. <laughs> I might say left when I read right. A little dyslexia going on. And, uh, you know, basically what I've learned is that I can respond instantly in a situation to either visual direction of a uh, course changing or a person saying to change something. So I guess I'd have to be more of a driver than a co-pilot. Uh, but yeah. some guys have that skill where they can just, they could care less what's going on in out the window. And as long as they're locked in and, and safe, they can look at a, at a book and tell you where to go. Um, but I don't. That's so. like every kid nowadays that's glued to their phone at dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Hey, we might have a whole new world of co-drivers out there that we just don't know about. <laughs> You never know. Right. And uh, yeah. And then so we still have like the SSV class is the one that I'm going to be the most interested in because it's the, uh, the well, the production class, we'll call right. it. Um, but the T3 class has that has the OT3, the Red Bull Junior off-road team. Like those guys started off with a bang as well. So Seth Cantero from actually right here where I'm staying uh, in San Marcos, California, uh, is out there already in second, man. So he's driving for the Red Bull Junior off-road team. And then Mitch Guthrie. Um, if you don't know Mitch Guthrie, uh, his father, Mitch, uh, senior has won pretty much every single King of the Hammers, except for a couple that Mitch has won. And right. then now the Miller brothers, but, uh, Mitch Guthrie is in 13th, man. So both of them are off to a good start and the, everybody finished, uh, the first stage without big issues. So it's pretty badass that the USA is doing so well with what is that count? Um, six, six or seven athletes out there on the world stage yeah i think that it goes back to a conversation that i had uh with ian last episode about uh the oes in america getting more serious about the competitive side and the marketing side of racing outside the united states whether that be mexico whether that be europe whether that be you know the united arabs things like that i think that's going to become more commonplace because they have they've kind of cottoned up to the actual hardcore off-roaders and are willing to put the money down to support a team that can prove themselves out on the course now. Where before, we they didn't really have the cars and the equipment to do that. And now that they've started to migrate some of this technology upgrades over time, they can have a vehicle that classifies as stock that actually is somewhat competitive. Yeah, I agree 100%. And then a little bit of the behind-the-scenes stuff, if your audience wants to know about it, like the South Racing guys, uh, and I think I'm pronouncing it or i'm saying it right as i think who austin's driving for those guys have been into car for a long time but then they got a little bit of uh, support from the brp guys so they're out there doing it but that's not a full-fledged factory effort right. so that's still the south racing guys but polaris um from direction from craig scanlon another shout out to craig um he wanted to go do it he's the one that said let's go do the car like that's one of my personal goals I want Chris and Wayne to go with me. These are some of the best drivers in the world, all three of them. And uh, unfortunately he couldn't go cause he had a shoulder injury. And uh, right. man, I, I knew about it since, I don't know, six months ago or something. And he kept telling me, he's like, fuck dude, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go. Like, I don't know. Like I'm just going to keep trying to push it. And then, uh, you know, he went down, did the 1000. He's like, dude, within the first 50 miles, I knew it was toast. Right. He's like, I just couldn't do it. So unfortunately he had to acquiesce and he had to, you know, be a support member of the team now and he's going to go get his shoulder repaired. And then in 2021 when, or excuse me, 2022, when the Dakar comes back, he's going to go out there and uh, it'll be nice too, because uh, they'll have more resources, right? They'll have experience. They'll have all of these different things. So um, when you talk about having an OEM go over there, 
a lot of it is driven from passion, man. Some of it's not always driven from these executive decisions trying to make money. Some of it's driven from passion and and the want and will to go out there and win and and not just that, but to have a good time. I mean, these guys are facing all this adversity. I mean, when I talked to Kristen last time, she was saying that they had a bunch of problems at the airport. And then I saw it on social media and like all of these crazy things that have happened. But the little amount that has happened for a big production like that, for them to get over there as Team USA, you know, headed up by the Polaris guys, the trucks, the cars, the builds, the employees, the race team, like the the parts, like all of that stuff. You and I, honestly, man, if we were trying to do something like that, it would probably take us three or four years to be able to figure it out. Like it it's is, not three or four guys is, going over there. That's like a team of like 40 people plus all these cars. And I those think trucks, I mean, those trucks than, are huge. Yeah. In fact, those that's like my all-time bucket list is to drive one of those Camaz trucks. Oh my gosh, those are amazing. <laughs> I know. They look so cool. Um, but yeah, so the logistics behind it is just phenomenal. And to have all of these smart people on board to be able to go do that, like for me and you to go just be a fly on the wall would be like a dream come true. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I would, would love to go cool. just be a documentarian on something like that, yep. right? Just me and my camera, just I'll stay out of your way. I won't even say a word. I just want to film and watch and experience and be that fly on the wall. Hey, so if you're a fly on the wall with Polaris, though, you have to have an iPhone because it's a requirement per the contract. So you can <laughs> use air, so you can use AirDrop. So you know, we're going to have to get you. I was just talking to my buddy about how 2021 might be the year I switch from Android to, to iPhone just for that one simple tool, the, the ability to AirDrop when yeah. I'm out doing stuff with people. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times that's just bit me in the butt. Yep. So Polaris actually put it in their contracts uh, two or three years ago or something. So <laughs> if Zach wants to get his Polaris contract, he's going to have to go invest in an iPhone 12, bud. <laughs> Shoot. If, it, if that opened the door to a, some sort of contract, I would do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> uh, it, it is funny, though, because it, it talks about like just simplifying little logistical tasks. So, I mean, yep. like a logistical task that's a big task is sending media, sending content and posting it on your story. Like, so I just give them kudos, man, because it's so rad to see how much effort they're putting into this. And we all have to be sitting here in our, on the couch and at our our home in the United States, we all have to be rooting for these guys. I don't care if you love, hate, you know, whatever you think about Polaris or, you know, any of the racers that are over there, it doesn't matter, man. They're going over there for team USA. It's so freaking cool. And this is the first time it's been a manufacturer led effort. Like it's doesn't get any better than that. We're part of it. Right. There's, there's a, when I was younger, when the Olympics happened, it was like, Holy crap. Everybody in the country's rooting team USA. We've lost a little bit of that over the last, I don't know, 10 years. And me personally getting more and more involved in off-road over the last five or so years this has become my little olympic moment like watching dakar watching baja watching all these things happen like that's where i'm like i don't care like i'm a polaris fanboy i love polaris cars ian's a uh a yamaha and and ken am fanboy he loves those cars but we're all rooting for these these young american athletes kicking ass on the on the course and giving everything they have to make an awesome effort at winning 
Dude, 100%, man. So like when I get to like, I've been messaging back and forth with a lot of these people and I don't know, like, cause I'm just a media guy now. Right. But like now I'm not even a media guy. I'm like full fanboy. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, yes, you guys are doing so awesome. I love it. Like, can't wait to see what happens next. Like I just can't get enough. Well, we'll start calling you George, the cheerleader. Dude. Perfect. <laughs> I like unicorns. I like uh, bright colors. And that will be a cheerleader too, I guess, huh? For sure. I You might have a birthday present, uh, some colored pom-poms coming. <laughs> Sweet. Well, I can take them to the Pocky Chip Challenge once I win that bad boy. <laughs> well, we'll see who, 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 we'll see, we'll see who comes out on top on that one. <laughs> um, well, you know, uh, I just wanted to say thanks for coming on the show last minute. I know I just talked to you this morning about filling in a spot. Um, we're really looking forward to an awesome year full of awesome podcasts with people that do and have experienced and have a lot of knowledge. Um, and that includes you. And so I just wanted to say thank you for coming on the show. I know, um, revisiting a lot of those emotions is not always easy and, and, and shows some vulnerability, but, um, that also shows your character. And I think that's awesome and something that everybody should experience. And, um, so, uh, shout out to the sponsors that, that got you to where you're at, um, in the race, uh, that put together a great car for you to drive in that got you back in one piece. Um, shout out to those doctors that let you <laughs> took the handcuffs off you and let go do what you want to do. Man. Um, <laughs> And uh, anyways, uh, anything you want to well, cover? I think, I think the shout out to everybody that supported it. I mean, like not just the sponsors, man, but you supporting it, giving the opportunity to share my story and everybody else, man, because every single person that sent a message or talked to me or even come up to the races and shook my hand, like I can't remember everybody, but I have a special piece of my heart for all of them. It was really cool to, to have all that support and stuff. And uh, I can't wait to get back, man. So I appreciate you having me on. And I hope Ian's uh family has a little bit easier time over the next uh, few weeks here. Yeah. Uh, just keep uh, him and his dad in your prayers and, and, and hopefully they come out on top of this. Um, it's a, it's a hard, hard thing taking, um, a loved one, especially a dad or a mother into a, a medical situation and not knowing the outcome of it. So, um, I, our hearts go out with those guys and, um, we wish them the best of luck. And, um, we know that, uh, he knows that, that's what we're rooting for him and, and all that. So, um, we look forward to the next podcast. We, we look forward to getting some more, uh, awesome content with you over the, the next summer, George, and, um, look forward to kind of just the, the opportunity that 2021 presents to all of us to grow and to kind of, I, I think that 21 is going to be the year where it proves people's work ethic on getting stuff done right like we've over this last yep. year have dealt with a lot of adversity each of us individually in different ways but i think 21 is going to show those that are willing to, to go the extra effort and the extra mile and i think we're going to see the, a ripe reward for those that are willing to do that um can't wait to see what comes out of it can't wait to see um some of the content that comes out of the people that are willing to invest in us and you and in the community in general. I know there's a lot of stuff that um, I'm excited about and I know that you're excited about. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked on 21. Uh, it was awesome having hey, before, you. Before you uh, sign off, is there anything that you can share with me or share with the, the audience that you guys have coming up? Um, yeah, we, you know, the, uh, the BDR trips this last year, uh, we're still kind of fulfilling the, the, the loose ends on getting that content out and all that stuff. But in 21, we have some other BDR type trails that we're going to hit and we're going to try to involve more people 
like in legs of it. So like people can be with us, you know, on the first leg, the second leg, the last leg and have people that are um, excited about this industry be a part of it versus having to commit to the entire thing and then facilitating that that storyline the entire way through. Um, so that's some stuff that's coming up. Uh, we got some big event stuff that we're going to be a part of that um, I'm going to be helping facilitate in, uh, the media side of. That's going to be pretty cool. Uh, so that'll take me across the country this year. That'll be neat. Um, so instead of Ron Burgundy, it's going to be Zach Jeffers? Uh, except I don't drink scotch, so we'll have to find something else. Uh, maybe some monster or something. Um, but yeah, just, just a lot of change in how I'm approaching content and, and media and people and how we tell stories and all that. Um, you know, you, in any business, you go through learning pains the first season of your business. And then the next season after that, you adapt. And the next season after that, you start getting your feet under you. And the next season, you start thinking you know what you're doing. And the fifth season, you fall apart again, and you rebuild and rebuild and rebuild. So I'm kind of at that stage of of kind of understanding what I need to cut off and what I need to invest in and, and all that kind of stuff that do a better job and a higher quality. And, a, and so there's just a lot of stuff happening that is all patience-oriented. And that's what I've learned over 2020 was is how to be patient, how to how to be productive while you wait, things like that. And so hopefully uh, in 2019, you're like patient. What's that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, in 19, I was losing my patience and that's why I decided to change into what I'm doing now. So I think you're doing a fantastic job, man. So keep killing it. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I'm always stoked to see who you have on, on the calendar next uh, on the show and who you're talking to next and where you're going to be. And so uh, always looking forward to the next show. Um, yeah. Thanks, man. So anyways, if you haven't uh, already went and subscribed uh, the Dirt Life show on YouTube, uh, he also live streams on Facebook. So every Monday when he does his show, you can participate live in the chat. Uh, so go do that. Um, and then also you can watch the videos and, and podcasts later after the fact as well. Uh, and, uh, the dirt life show.com and am I missing anything else. Yeah. I don't know if you want to slide into our DMS, you can hit us at the dirt life show <laughs> on Instagram too. Um, and then, uh, yeah, if you, uh, are, int- are enjoying the content you're hearing, you can find us on all the podcasting platforms, YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, I recently signed up to TikTok, so you can even find us there. Uh, and so we're really trying to solidify a, good way to find us no matter where you're at this year. And I think we're going to do an awesome thing. So, uh, George, thanks for, uh, being on the show tonight and to everybody else out in the internets. Peace. (laughs) 